So let's turn to uh, Mark chapter 4 and just hold it there. Uh, I've put most of the scriptures up here for you today. Just uh, I, I normally like for, for us to turn to all the scriptures and put our eyes on them, but uh, we'd have kind of a lot of going back and forth today, so I've put them uh, up here for you, and if you want to write, you know, have a tablet to write them down, uh, you, you can make a list of the, of the scriptures, but I've put most of them up here for you. But if you turn to Mark 4, we will be going there uh, from time to time. So today, we're going to talk about the seed principle and the hundredfold principle. Uh, some Bible scholars point out that the earlier on in the Bible you find a principle or a doctrine, the more significance or importance uh, it, it uh, seems to have. Uh, and there are three very important kingdom principles that are found in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Uh, the seed principle the tithe, and the hundredfold principle. Now recently, I just discovered a fourth one. We're not going to turn to that today, but there's another uh, principle found in Genesis. Uh, the doctrine of the laying on of hands also appears for the first time in the book of Genesis. But uh, we, won't, we won't be turning to that scripture today. But the hundredfold principle is not just a financial principle, but a law that works in every area of life. So, um, let's see where we are here with our first. Let's first look at the seed principle. Uh, Genesis 1, 11. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. So here it says every seed reproduces after its own kind. The seed produces the fruit, which produces more seed for planting. So, uh, you know, this is, this is not only a Bible a principle, this is a biology principle, you know. Every animal reproduces after its own kind. Humans reproduce after their own kind. Uh, so you don't have, uh, you know, a tiger bringing forth a beaver or something like that. You know what I mean? Every, uh, everything that God calls a seed reproduces after its own kind. When you plant one kernel of corn in the earth, you don't get just one stalk that has one ear of corn, and then you pull back the husk on that ear, and it's got just one seed on it, and that's the one that you planted. That's not what happens. When you plant one seed, you get a stalk that's got numerous ears of corn on it, and every one of those ears have hundreds of, of kernels of corn on them. 
So the same is true with the believer in the Word of God. Revelation knowledge of God's Word grows in you like seed planted in the ground. And as the seed of the Word is planted into your heart, the harvest of fruit it produces will come forth. Uh, so if you plant the word of healing in your heart, you produce a crop of healing. If you plant the word of prosperity in your heart, you produce a crop of prosperity. So this is the basic principle for all of the kingdom of God. It's the basis for all of God's operations, the seed principle, seed, plant, and harvest principle. Uh, the next uh, seed principle we have in Genesis is found in Genesis 1.29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. So uh, if, if you go back, you'll notice in a few verses before that, the first a gift God gave man was authority. He said, I give you dominion over all the earth and everything that swims and flies and crawls. So the first gift God gave man was authority, and this is the second gift God gave man was seed. Um, and it says, it shall be to you for meat, or in other words, food, or provision, or resources. So by giving man seed, uh, God was giving him uh, control over his destiny by giving him seed to sow. Then again in Genesis 8.22, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. So these are three references to the seed principle we find in the very first book of the Bible. Uh, this also kind of blows away the climate change people. It says cold and heat will never cease as long as the earth remains. So uh, all these people saying, well, the earth is warming up and uh, we're all going to drown, you know, because the, the North Pole's melting and the South Pole's melting and, and it's all, we're not going to have cold weather anymore. It's just going to get warmer and warmer. Well, that's that's not true. God says cold and heat's going to last as long as the earth remains. So, uh, we're looking at the seed principle in general. The second uh, biblical principle we find in the book of Genesis is the tithe. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. So this tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a type of the tithe. God said, you, all the other trees, they're, you're free to eat from those trees, but not this one. Uh, so God uh, said, this one's mine. You can eat all from all the other ones, but this one's mine. So here we have a type of the tithe in Genesis 2. And then uh, we have the hundredfold principle in Genesis uh, chapter 26, 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land, 
and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. So we're going to be, uh, we'll be coming back to that scripture later. Now, uh, you're turned there in Mark 4. If you, if you want to, you can look at your own Bible uh, if you want to. Uh, it says, uh, this is, uh, of course, referring to the Word. This, is, this chapter is the parable of the sower. And the word parable means to lay beside for comparison. That's what it means. It's comparing something spiritual with something natural. And that's the way Jesus did a lot of his teaching, was in parables. Um, so in, in these instances in the Bible, he used a lot of agricultural comparisons because that was the people he was speaking to. It was an agricultural society, and all those people were familiar with all these uh, things and terminology. Uh, if he, Jesus were here today, he probably wouldn't be using agricultural uh, comparisons unless he was out in the country talking to a group of farmers, he might. But we don't live in an agricultural society anymore as such. Uh, if he went to London, you know, he probably wouldn't be talking about corn and plants and harvest and things like that. He'd probably talk about uh, stocks and bonds and cash and things like that uh, in parables to compare spiritual things with natural things. So um, here he's talking about the Word of God and it says, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the Word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So here he's talking about planting the word of God in your heart uh, will bring forth uh, a crop of whatever you plant. Healing, prosperity, whatever you plant in your heart. In verse 26 and 27, uh, he goes on to say, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. So notice the phrase, when it is planted, it grows up. The ground will grow whatever is planted in it. The, the ground is programmed just to grow whatever is planted in it, whether it's good or whether it's bad. The ground will grow wheat, and it'll grow marijuana at the same time. The, the, it, it all depends on what the seed is. All the ground knows what to do is just to plant whatever's in it, and your spirit is a piece of fertile ground, and it will grow whatever you put in it. It'll bring forth a crop of healing, but if you plant the wrong thing in it, it'll also produce a crop of sickness or lack or, or whatever. So not only is God's word seed, but your words are seed. So you're, through your words, you can plant in your spirit a harvest of good health, or you can produce a harvest of heart trouble and arthritis and lack. Uh, you know, your spirit is just programmed to, to produce 
whatever you plant in it. Uh, you know, your car is uh, designed to run properly as long as you put uh, the water in the radiator and the oil in the oil uh, bit and the petrol in the petrol tank. It'll run, it'll run good, but if you put dirt in the petrol tank, you're going to have problems. And, and it's kind of the same way. If you're putting dirt in your spirit, you know, things that, that, that are, are harmful and destructive, you're going to have problems. There are churches that preach poverty and they produce a crop of poor people. There are churches that uh, preach uh, healing. They produce a, a crop of people in good health. There are churches that... Uh, preach the new birth, and they produce a crop of saved people. So Jesus said the whole kingdom works on this principle. Now God gives multiplication potential to everything that he calls a seed. Let's look at a few examples. Faith. Faith is a seed. In Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. So Jesus refers to faith as a seed which has harvest potential. And your faith grows in your heart the same way a seed grows in the ground, good ground, it starts out small, and it gradually gets bigger and bigger and bigger. If you feed it and water it the right things, it will grow stronger and bigger. Then in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul said, Your faith groweth exceeding, exceedingly. So Paul tells us that faith also has the potential for great increase. Christian seed, Genesis 15, 5. And he brought him forth, talking about Abraham, abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. So God promised Abraham his seed would multiply in harvest proportions. And we have seen that come to pass. And then in the New Testament, Galatians 3.29 says, And if ye be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the, the church, the entire Christian family, is proof positive that uh, spiritual seed, the spiritual seed of Abraham has come forth in harvest proportions. Jesus referred to his own body as a seed through his death and resurrection. And in John 12, 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So Jesus refers to himself as a seed. And when Jesus spoke of himself, 
uh, as a corn of wheat falling into the ground and dying. He was speaking of himself. He was speaking of his death. Uh, and he said, when I die and rise from the grave, I will bring forth many sons and daughters that will show me to the world. So Jesus understood that he was the beginning of a whole new species of men and women who were going to populate the entire earth. And his resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. So firstfruits is the first part of the harvest, of the ripened harvest, and it's evidence that the entire harvest is on the way. So Jesus' resurrection is a promise of our own resurrection. He was the first fruits, and we're coming behind him. So because Jesus was raised from the dead, we're going to follow him if we go by the grave and will be raised from the dead. So uh, Jesus referred to himself as, as a seed and the first fruits of a mighty harvest. And we also see this in the Passion Translation. But the truth is, Christ is risen from the dead as the first fruit of a great resurrection harvest of those who have died. So we're talking about God uh, giving multiplication potential to everything that he calls a seed. So we also have money seed. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, sorry, I left off the other one there is 2 Corinthians 9.10 Now he that ministereth seed to the sower both ministereth bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase, increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now this is where most of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ do not agree with the word of God. They will agree that faith can grow like a seed and become larger. And they can believe that the body of Christ has grown and expanded from Jesus, the seed, to just a few hundred people in the book of Acts, and now millions of believers worldwide. And they, you know, they can believe, uh, you know, uh, they can believe these other principles. But when you start talking about Money, God giving multiplication power to money so that it comes back to you in harvest proportions, that's where they don't agree. That's where, the, that's where they get off. But when you give your money into the gospel, God automatically gives multiplication potential. And we saw here in Mark 4, verse 20, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100-fold. We've already talked about the first step to activating this law in the area of finances is to plant uh, the seed of prosperity in the good soil of your heart, the word concerning prosperity. <clears throat> now, we're here in Mark 4, uh, verse 24, uh, let's look there, verse 24. 
And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and, to, and unto you that hear shall more be given. Now another translation of the word hear is understand. To understand the thing that you're hearing. So if we substitute the word understand for hear, you could read it like this. Take heed what you understand. With what measure of understanding you have when you give, it shall be measured to you. And to you that understand what you hear shall more be given. For he that hath understanding of what he hears, to him shall be given. And he that hath not understanding, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. Now, uh, if... Uh, marked 4, 24 and 25. Now, if you just, you don't have to turn there, I'm, I'm there. In Matthew's account of this parable of the sower, uh, he says in Matthew 13, 19, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which, is, which received seed by the wayside. So, so the devil comes and steals it out of your heart before you can understand it. He comes and tries to steal it out of your heart before you can understand it. Now I think I've got a few other... I've got the New Living Translation here. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. The easy-to-read version says, Think carefully about what you are hearing. God will know how much to give you by how much you understand now, but he will give you more than you deserve. I like that. <laughs> he will give you more than you deserve. And... Uh, Mark 4.25 in the New Living says, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And the devil will come and steal it. So really what we're talking about here in the sower sows the word is the law of increase. Uh, those who understand what they hear shall receive and harvest proportions. This is the way the whole kingdom of God operates, and it governs how we receive from God. Uh, your receiving also refers to how you hear the word, what place you give it in your life, and the value you place on it, and how far are you willing to go to defend it and protect it and keep the devil from stealing it out of your heart. Um, the Amplified Classic says, The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. So your prosperity depends on how much thought and study and attention 
you give to God's word in that area. And that really applies to any area. That's why this, this is the way uh, all of God's uh, operations work on the seed, plant, and harvest principle. So some people receive the word in faith. They'll say, yes, you know, God delights in the prosperity of his servant. And some people receive, when they hear the word, they, they are skeptic. They're skeptical about it. And they say, well, that's too good to be true, or I don't know so much about that. Well, that's, that's the way it's going to be measured back to them. He said, the way you measure what you hear is the way it's going to be measured back to you. <clears throat> so, we're talking about your receiving depending on how you measure the Word of God. Now, let's look at uh, a few things that stop the Word of God from producing its full capabilities. And these things not only apply to finances, this applies to every area of life. In Mark 4.15, it says, And these are they by the wayside, this is the wayside group, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their heart. So Satan comes to talk you out of it immediately before it can take root in you and begin to grow and, and increase and, your, and, and begin to produce faith in you. So this group didn't produce anything. They, they measured zero, and they got zero. So zero harvest is a measure. You can get a harvest of zero which is what these people got. Verse 16 and 17, And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. They, boy, they heard the word, hallelujah, glory to God, we are going for it, we just found out what we need to know. And, and, and they lasted for a while. And then it says, when affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake, they let go. When the persecution came, they let go. And that's the devil's whole purpose, is to start applying that pressure to get you to give up and let go. So this stony group, they didn't receive anything either. They, they measured zero, and they harvested zero. Verse 18, this is the thorny group, and I think this is a group probably most Christians fall into. These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh fruit, uh, fruitless. Fruit, fruitless or unfruitful. Uh, the Amplified Bible says the craving and passionate desire for other things creep in. Notice they creep in. The devil doesn't just overwhelm you with it, with something that's obviously uh, a distraction to you or something that's obviously keeping you out of the word and the things of God. 
they're little things that just gradually begin to consume your time, distractions, and boy do we live in a society of distractions. And these things just gradually start creeping into your life and you realize, you know, you're, you're spending less time in the Word and so forth. So I think this is the group that most Christians fall into. Uh, the ones who received are talked about in verse 20. In the Amplified Bible it says, And those sown on the good, well-adapted soil are the ones who hear the Word and receive and accept and welcome it and bear fruit some 30 times as much as was sown, some 60 times as much, and some even a hundred times as much. So sowing and reaping is not a doctrine. It's a spiritual law. It's a spiritual law. It works uh, on anything, not just money or material things. You sow love, you receive love. You sow discord, you're going to... Uh, receive discord return to you multiplied so you know what length will you go to to continue the, to the, believe the word when people begin to uh, call you extremist and greedy uh, people demons the devil uh, lust for other things, persecution, come to steal the word out of your heart. Did you notice that you never had any of these attacks before you started believing God for something in faith? Nobody ever bothered you. Nobody cared whether you had anything or not. Nobody cared if, you know, if, if you got healed or not. Uh, you know, have you ever noticed uh, poor people are not persecuted? Sick people are not persecuted. As a matter of fact, people feel sorry for them. Those people never get persecuted. But you start believing for healing, and you got people around you that don't believe in healing, and they believe it's passed away and it's not for day, today and all that. I mean, all of hell is going to come against you. And you start believing for God to bless you and move you up and take you up to another level, and you've got people around you that don't believe in prosperity. They're the, the wayside group, you know. Um, all hell comes and, and breaks loose on you. Uh, when you don't have anything, nobody cares. When you're sick, you know, they're not bothered if you get healed or not. But, buddy, you start exercising faith in that area and out come... The, the persecution, the, the devil will start flooding your path with people to tell you you're crazy and you're greedy and so forth. So he wants to steal the word out of you at the earliest possible opportunity and that's what he did with the wayside group. I mean, they, they, they didn't even hold on to the word long enough, you know, to even get saved. And then other people, they, they received it and then for whatever these other reasons, the devil talked them out of it. So, in the area of the world's finances and goods, there are four things you must do to receive. And actually, this is not just money and material things. This actually applies to everything, but 
First of all, make a decision to put the word first place and make it final authority. And this is what we talked about in the last meeting. Making the word of God final authority over every situation. Because if you don't make that decision up front, all these other things we've just read about in Mark 4, the devil's going to come at you with them to try to talk you out of it and try to convince you it's not for you. Uh, nobody in your family's ever done anything like this. Nobody in your family's ever had anything like this. So that's, that's the first thing. Make a decision to, make, to put the word final authority. Secondly, plant. Plant the word in your heart. And then natural planting by giving and being a doer of the word. And then I put in a 2A, water the seed. You gotta water it and feed it with the word. Ephesians 5.26 says, with the washing of water by the word. That's why we make these confessions and we speak the word over our tithes and offerings. That's not just to fill in time. When you do that at home, uh, or, or some designated time throughout the day, that's not just to fill in time, that's to water your seed. Because the, the Bible, uh, the word is often symbolized in the Bible by water. So uh, we also see it in the Old Testament, Isaiah 55, 10, 11 in the Good News translation says, my word is like the snow and the rain that come down from the sky to water the earth. So here he's comparing his word to water, snow and rain. They make the crops grow. They make the crops grow and provide seed for planting and food to eat. So we've got to continue to, to uh, feed and water the word. That's why we confess the word. And then we harvest, Mark 4, 29. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. And that's what we do uh, when, when we're, uh, you know, we, we make those declarations of our tithe and offerings uh, concerning flood stage. And we're making these declarations. We're putting in the sickle with the words of our mouth and we're reaping our harvest. And we're sending out our angels to uh, gather up our harvest and bring it to us. Because a harvesting is not just automatic. you got to put in the sickle. That's the words of your mouth. Boldly speak the hundredfold return over your offerings. We have what we say and believe. Mark eleven twenty three, And then continually give thanks for the hundredfold return. And this keeps your faith alive and active. Then, after we've done all that, stand. 1 Corinthians 10:12 in the Phillips translation says, So let the man who feels sure of his standing today be careful that he does not fall tomorrow. <laughs> Ephesians 6:11 and 13, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may, may be able to stand 
against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So there will always be persecution and opposition for acting on the word and being an overcomer. And having on the armor of God will enable us to stand against the wiles of the devil. Galatians 6.9 in the Passion Translation says, And don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. For the season of reaping, the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. So, dare to believe what the word says. Refuse to allow the devil to steal the full 100 return that's available to you. So, that's why we're talking about this. We want to believe for God's best. Hallelujah. So, over here in verse uh, 20, Mark 4:20, where it says, These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. The ones that received a hundredfold are the ones that put the word first place. They defended it. They protected it regardless of the circumstances and they refused to let go of it and they reaped their harvest. So it wasn't God just randomly saying, I'm going to give you 30 and I'm going to give you 60 and I'm going to give you 100. Uh, that's, it's not God. You know, but I, I'm going to give Joanne 100 because I like her nice talk. Well, I like her nice talk too. Why did she get 60 and she got 100? No, it's not that way. It's the way that we measure it. It's the way you measure it, the way you put the word of God first place. What are you willing to do? How far are you willing to go to defend it and protect it when people are calling you crazy and they tell you you're wasting your time? These are the people that receive. You gotta, you gotta stand and you gotta protect that seed and not let the devil come steal that hundredfold return from you. So in order to ensure yourself the 30, 60, and hundredfold return, it's gonna take a tremendous amount of fault and study. You have to be a student of the word. Proverbs 21.5 says, the faults of the diligent tend only to plenteous, plenteousness. So now let's talk specifically about the hundredfold principle. The hundredfold principle occurs seven times in the Bible, in the King James Version, and in the New Testament, Jesus is the only one who uses the term hundredfold. It appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the parable of the sower. <laughs> and Jesus uses it again in Mark 10 when he talks about the rewards that people will receive that's available for those who have left family and, and home and possessions for the gospel's sake. 
And that's one of the verses I'm hanging my faith on for a house. Amen? That's, I, I qualify. So I'm, I'm beginning to really meditate on that verse. Now, uh, let's look at the, the first time that the word hundredfold appears in the Bible. And it's back at Genesis 26, 12. Uh, if you want to turn there, you can. But it says, Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Now, if you go back a few verses in that chapter, you'll see uh, the background there. There was a famine in the land, and uh, the, the Philistines, which were Israel's uh, longtime enemies, the spirit of stupid came upon the Philistines, and they filled in all the water wells that Abraham had dug. Now, what's the one thing you need in the desert to survive? Water. And what did they do? They dumped dirt in all the water wells just to spite Abraham, uh, you know, and his progress and God blessing him and so forth. They, they you know, envied him. They were his, their enemies. Uh, but I guess they didn't realize that if we stop up his wells and they don't have water, we don't have water either. So that was pretty stupid. But they, they filled up the water wells. And uh, in verse 2 and 3 of that chapter, it says, as a result of this, Isaac was ready to leave and go to Egypt. And that's a type of the world system. He was ready to go to Egypt for help. Uh, and before he could do that, God appeared to him and gave him some instructions. And uh, God said to him, you know, you stay here in the land, don't leave. You sow, sow in this famine, and I'm going to multiply your descendants. There were two meanings there. God was going to multiply his natural uh, sons and daughters uh, his natural family into a great nation and he was also saying I will multiply your uh, natural seed sown your agricultural seed that you plant in this time of famine I'm going to empower them with multiplication potential and you're going and, and this famine will have no effect on your agricultural seed so Isaac obeyed God and he stayed and he planted in the famine and it says that the, the Philistines envied him. Here comes the persecution. Uh, but uh, he obeyed God fully and he received a hundredfold return in the same year. So this is a good example of God's ability to multiply back to the obedient sower in uh, harvest proportion uh, numbers. The second time we see the word hundredfold, we're not going to turn there, 2 Samuel 24, 3, uh, one of David's associates uh, was pleading with David not to number Israel. And um, uh, the reason David began to look away from God as their defender and protector 
And he began to look in the natural. How many men, how many men do we have? How many people do we have? Can we hold off our enemies? And he began to, there's nothing wrong with having an army, uh, but he began to put his faith in how many numbers they had in the army, and he began to take his eyes off God as their protector. And that displeased God, and David ignored, here uh, this associate, Joab, said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto the people how many soever they be, a hundredfold, and that the eyes of the Lord the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? In other words, why are you doing this? You know, we, we need to be uh, put our trust in God ultimately. But David ignored him, and he numbered the people of Israel anyway, and they went on to have uh, God put a severe punishment on them for doing this, and 70,000 people, a plague came on them, and 70,000 people, as a result, died. Now, the first time it appears in the uh, New Testament uh, is... In the parable of the sower, Mark, uh, Matthew 13, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 8, these are all their accounts of the sower, parable of the sower. Uh, in Luke, Luke's account of the parable, he does not mention 30-fold and 60-fold. He just goes straight for 100-fold. <laughs> he leaves out the 30 and the 60-fold. And Jesus uses it again here in Mark chapter 10 uh, when he describes the enormous return you can expect when you give into the ministry uh, of the gospel. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. There it is. He warned us in advance. Most people are not believing for that. But he said all these, the hundredfold, uh, when God begins to bless you more and more, the persecutions will come. And in the world to come, eternal life. So God's not talking about some reward system in heaven here. He's talking about right here, now on earth. And some translations even say now in this lifetime. Um, so there are a number of variables and conditions to reaping the hundredfold. The quality of the seed, the quality of the ground, the faith of the sower and the reaper being led by the Holy Spirit uh, to, you know to be in the right place at the right time do this give here go here say this whatever uh, so that's all involved in our in our receiving and our reaping uh, so you know, it's not all up to God, in other words. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not all up to God. Uh, some people also say that the hundredfold return, well, that's not literal. That's just a figure of speech, and that's just a metaphor. Well, does that mean that Isaac did not reap a hundredfold literal grain? 
Did he just read a, a literal hundredfold crop of metaphors? No, he reaped literal grain. He sowed literal grain and he reaped a hundredfold in the same year. Uh, some people will say, well, that's just the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, are they saying that New Testament believers are worse off than Old Testament believers? Uh, even though we have a better covenant with better promises? Um, you know, when we came to Jesus, we didn't lose anything. Uh, if I was to hold up a 100-pound note and a 50-pound note, which is better? 100. Which is better, the new covenant or the old covenant? The new, because the 100-pound the note also contains the 50. And the new covenant also contains everything in the old covenant plus. Just like the 100-pound note contains the 50-pound note plus more. Well, we're in the New Covenant. We've got everything in the Old Testament believers had plus more. So that's why we have a better covenant. So for people to, to insinuate that we're worse off in the New Covenant than the Old Testament believers were, no, this is available to us uh, in the New Covenant. Uh, you know, we have... Uh, the anointing in every believer. In the Old Testament, the, the, the Holy Spirit was only on a few people. The prophet, the priest, and the king. But in the New Testament, every believer has the Holy Spirit. So there are a number of factors involved here. Isaac stayed where God told him to stay. He sowed where God told him to sow. He reaped where and when the Lord told him to reap. And this is how you get uh, uh, can receive the hundredfold return by being led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you remember when uh, Peter and the other guys had been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything, you know? Uh, and uh, the next morning they were washing all their nets and putting them away, cleaning them, getting ready to go home and come back the next night to fish. And Jesus asked Peter if he could borrow his boat to preach out of, and he did. And when Jesus finished preaching, he turned around and Peter and said, throw your nets out for a catch. Now, he meant throw all the nets out for a catch. And Peter's thinking, look, we've, we're the fishermen here, you're the preacher. We know more about fishing, and we've been out here all night. There's not any fish to be found in this lake. And besides that, we've already washed all of our nets, and we don't want to pull them out again, throw them out there, catch nothing. We've got to start all over and wash them again and put them away. So, but just to appease Jesus, Peter picked up one net that was worn out, broken. It was an old net. So he didn't throw out all the nets. He threw out one net. If you go back and read that, it says he threw out the net. He ca they caught so many fish in that one old net that he had to call for the other boats and partners to come help bring in that catch of fish. 
Now what if Peter had been fully obedient and done exactly what Jesus said and thrown out all the nets? When they sold those fish, they wouldn't have had to work for a year. They, would have, they already had so many in that one net, it almost sunk the boats. But if he had fully obeyed Jesus and thrown out all the nets, see, Jesus wasn't, they were just thinking about coming back and fishing the next night because we've got bills to pay. Jesus is thinking, throw out all the nets, and I'll bring in so many fish, you can sell them and live off that money for a year. You don't have to come back and, you can take a year-long vacation. You don't have to come back and fish tonight. You won't have to fish again for a year. So, so a lot of this is involved, uh, but you know, being led by the Holy Spirit and, and being fully obedient to what the Lord tells you, a lot of that has to do with, with your reaping. Now, um, let's see where we are. Uh, let's explore briefly what does hundredfold mean? Now, it's easy to understand that 30-fold means 30 times, 60-fold means 60 times. The Oxford Dictionary says 100-fold means 100 times as much or as many. Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words says the complete productiveness of sown seed. The complete productiveness of sown seed. Now here in Mark 4.20 where he talks about 30, 60, and 100 fold return, you can see the mathematical progression 30 fold, then he adds another 30 fold to make 60, but he doesn't add another 30 fold to make 90. He, he adds 40 to make 100. Um, so a hundred can represent the best possible yield. When you take an exam, what's the best possible score you can make on that exam? A hundred. Whether you have a hundred questions or 25 questions or 200 questions, the best possible score on that exam is a hundred. Um, so sometimes a hundredfold might mean less than a hundred. Uh, for example, an average cow has one calf per year. Now in order for a cow to have a hundred calves, it ain't going to live a hundred years. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. A cow is, the lifespan of a cow is not going to be a hundred years. So. <clears throat> that would be much longer than the life expectancy of a cow. So if hundredfold always had to mean a hundred times, it would not ever be possible to get a hundredfold return in the cattle business or, or on the farm. Animals just don't live that long. Sometimes a hundredfold can mean uh, uh, more than a hundred times. Uh, if you take an, an apple, uh, the average apple has four or five seed in it. Uh, an apple tree will produce many, many times more than a hundred apples in its lifetime. And each one of those apples has four or five seed in it. So you plant those, you could wind up with one apple tree producing hundreds, maybe thousands of apples 
in its lifetime. So sometimes a hundredfold could be less than a hundred. Sometimes it can refer to more than a hundred. It, it also means the best possible yield. Now, uh, some of you may have heard of Dr. Evanzini, who used, uh, he's retired, but he used, he was one of the kind of first well-known prosperity teachers. Uh, he, at one point, he moved from California to another state, and they had to move before they could sell their house. And they were believing that they would get the full price and that it would happen quickly. Well, that house sat there for 10 months. And uh, eventually it sold, and they had to take a cut, considerable cut, on the amount that they got for it. So he was kind of, well, he was complaining to the Lord about it, that it didn't turn out like he was believing for, and they had to take a loss on it and so forth. Uh, and then a couple of years later, he was talking to the real estate agent that sold the house. And he began to tell them the story, and he said, uh, all of us called your house the miracle house. And he said, the miracle house, it took 10 months for that house to sell, and we, we took a loss on it. He said, your house was the only house that sold in that area for two years. Everybody else's house just sat there. And he said, yours is the only one that sold. And he said, we call that, we said God sold that preacher's house for him. And, and, and we call that the miracle house. Nobody else is, was selling a house there. So when he heard the whole story, he went back to the Lord and he repented and he said, Lord, I'm sorry, you truly have given us the hundredfold return because uh, if you look at the, the sinners and the heathen in the same circumstances, he came out much better. He came out much better. So when you begin to determine whether uh, you've received the best possible yield, Look at the heathen. See, see how they've done under the same circumstances before you start, start judging the, the best possible yield. Uh, so, so don't get discouraged. Check out the heathen. See, how they've, see what they experienced under the same circumstances. Amen. I think that's probably all I wanted to say along that line. Now I wanted to read to you a prophecy from Charles Capps in 1978. And I think in here he's yeah he's going to mention the hundredfold return. It's a little bit long, but stay with it. This is a prophecy he gave, 1978 about the end times. He says, financial inversion shall increase in these days. Now, inversion means a reversal of position or to turn something upside down. Financial inversion shall increase in these days. For you see, it is my desire to move in the realm of your financial prosperity. But release me, saith the Lord, Release me that I may come in your behalf and move on your behalf. For yes, 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 there shall be in this hour 
financial distress here and there. The economy shall go up and it will go down. But those that learn to walk in the word, they shall see the prosperity of the word come forth in this hour in a way that has not been seen by men in days past. Yes, there's coming a financial inversion in the world system. It's been held in reserves of wicked men for days on end. But the end is nigh. Those reserves shall be tapped and shall be drained into the gospel of Jesus Christ. It shall be done, saith the Lord. It shall be done in the time allotted. And so shall it be that the word of the Lord shall come to pass, that the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Predominantly in two ways shall it be done in this hour. Those that have hoarded up and stored because of the inspiration of the evil one and held the money from the gospel shall be converted and drawn into the kingdom and then shall it release that reservoir into the kingdom. But many, many will not. They'll not heed the voice of the word of God. They'll turn aside to this and they'll turn to that and they'll walk in their own ways but their ways will not work in this hour. It'll dwindle, it'll slip away as though it were in bags with holes in them. It'll go here and it'll go there and they'll wonder why it's not working now. It worked in days past, they'll say, but it shall be, saith the Lord, that the word of the Lord shall rise within men, men of God of low esteem in the financial world. They shall claim the word of God to be their very own and walk in the light of it as it has been set forth in the word and give. They'll begin to give small at first because that's all they have. But then it will increase and through the hundredfold return, so shall it be that the reservoirs that have held the riches in days past, so shall it return to the hands of the giver. Because of the hundredfold return shall the reservoirs be lost from the wicked and turned to the gospel. For it shall be, it shall be in this hour that you will see things that you've never dreamed come to pass. Oh, it'll be strong at first in ways, then it will grow greater and greater until men will be astounded and the world will stand in awe because the ways of men have failed and the ways of God shall come forth. As men walk in my word, so shall they walk in the ways of the Lord. Oh yes, there will be some who say, yes, but God's ways are higher, surely higher than our ways, and we can't walk in those. It's true that the ways of God are higher. They are higher than your ways, as the heavens are above the earth. But I'll teach you to walk in my ways. I never did say you couldn't walk in my ways. Now learn to walk in it, learn to give, so shall the inversion of the financial system revert, and so shall it be that the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world, and there shall be no lack in the kingdom. Those that give shall walk in the ways of the supernatural. They shall be known abroad. My word shall spread and the knowledge of the Lord shall fill all the earth in the day in the hour in which ye stand. Ye shall see it and know it 
for it is of me, and it shall come to pass, saith the Lord. Amen. Amen.